All hail Peter. <laughs> we shouldn't talk like that on this podcast. Might be taken the wrong way. Oh, hello everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's Guitar Ted with the Guitar Ted Podcast. Guitar Ted Production Podcast. Get the whole name in there. Welcome. Thanks for stopping by to listen to us. This is your host, Guitar Ted, with New York Roll here in the Stone Castle Estates in beautiful, snowy Waterloo, Iowa. Snowy or cold? Let's well, make up our mind. We have both. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> local soft trails, um, local mountain bike group, Seavast, uh, they're doing a pretty darn good job of keeping a single track groomed. Yeah, they got a nice groomer and... Yeah, we got fat biking happening. Yep. Well, they've they've had the sled dogs for a couple of years now. I think two mm-hmm. years, maybe three. And those are, those are the bee's knees, I think, um, for uh, single track grooming. And then they went this year and bought that uh, UTV, aka a Gator, and they've got the four track system on it. Mm-hmm. And they're doing a drag behind it. We don't get enough snow up here that I think rollers are worth a lick. Because we just don't get enough no, base. Oh, yeah. You know, so you just got to drag it and then hope it hope it stays. Yeah, I hope it gets solid. <clears throat> we yeah. were fortunate in that, that big snow we got had a lot of moisture in it, and so yeah. it set up really well. So that's good. So we have a few things. We're going to call this uh, three things for this podcast. The three things. The three things. Yes. So the first of the three things, what should we pick? You know what they are. Oh, yeah. I just had them pulled up here. How about we talk about Paris to Ancaster? Yeah. So we should look that up, actually. Um, I thought you were ready to go. Well, I know what it is, but I mean, I don't know all the details. Well, real quick, uh, Paris to Ancaster, I believe, was announced to be the Canadian Gravel National Championships. That's correct. And my question is, is how much is that worth in maple syrup? I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> is that how they, what their prizes are? Well, a couple of years ago, they had the big maple syrup scandal. Uh, some company, there was a big maple syrup theft worth millions of dollars. So um, I kind of always joke everything about Canada and maple syrup. Yeah. But the New York State maple syrup is far superior to Canada and <laughs> Vermont. Okay. I'm just throwing down. <laughs> well, we see how you are. So Paris to Ancaster is a an event that is I don't know. I, I always thought of it as kind of a gravel event. I've had other people tell me no, it's not really a gravel event. It's a yeah, I don't know farm roads and some pair there's some pavement and you know it, it it's it's a lot like a european road race yeah from a classics standpoint and um i think they would say that they're a gravel event just because that's what's popular now but it's been going on for well since the 90s i believe yeah you know so it's a long established event in canada and uh, it was recently announced, as New York Roll just said, that they're going to be the uh, Canadian Gravel National Championship race. So I'm trying to see what their date is. It doesn't have it right in the front page here. I think it's a springtime event. Yeah, I just remember early April is how I generally remember seeing it pop up on my news yeah. feeds. Yeah, maps, they got results, they got images, partners. Okay, so I'm going to go on a mini rant right here. One of the things that really chaps my hide about any event page is they don't have the three or four basic necessities. That you I want call. me to attend your wedding? <laughs> yes. That's how I look at right. it. It's what is it, where is it, when is it, and why is it? You could put the fourth one in, why, you know. You don't necessarily have to have that fourth one, but you need to have the where, when, and uh, what what it is. So Races are kind of like a party invitation. If you yeah. want me to show up, I got to know when to put it on my right. oh-so-busy calendar. And so they have an awesome-looking front page there, but the, the date for the event isn't there that I can see easily. I should be able to find that right. I should be able to just glance at it and see, Ten oh, seconds. It's, it's this. You know, I suppose it's on their registration yeah, uh, you know, I, I get so 
frustrated with some of these events, I don't, I won't even bother to go to that because it's a waste of my time. If it's not right on their front page, that's just how I feel about it. But, you know, I think it's just common courtesy that you should put those things up right up, right up front where people can see it. So I agree. That's just a note for you guys out there. If you're putting on events, it makes it a lot easier for people to plan things. So I find it interesting. There's a Canadian one. Yeah. And so where does that go? Does right that's does that interact with the United States one? Right, and then Mexico has one, and then do you have a NAFTA championship? <laughs> NAFTA. I, we have to ask Ross Perot about that. Well, I'm just saying it. It'd be if you understand who what Ross Perot reference what that reference is, then you're old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you know a lot about history. We'll I think I was way. a freshman in high school when he was running. Anyways. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of the reason I wanted to talk about it was there is a chit chat that USAC's going to have their own national championship, despite the fact that there's been a gravel national championship going on for at least six years in the United States and not yep. many people know about it. He's been on your previous podcast mm-hmm. two or yeah, three we, times. We've uh, inter- interviewed the guy that runs uh, or helps run that, the uh, United Endurance. Um, no, it's not Federation. But yeah, it is. Like, I is think it it's United, yeah, Endurance. United States yeah. Endurance Federation. So it's been a minute. Yeah, and they they've done a the Gravel Grinder Nationals. They call it. Yep. They moved that recently to Vermont, I believe. It used to be in in uh, Manhattan, Kansas. Yeah for years but they give stars and stripes jerseys out to different categories just like you know usac would and they've been doing it for quite some time but the thing is is that um endurance style racing and the gravel nationals and that organization gets zero cred in the cycling media you never read anything about it and i don't know why that is it's like they don't even exist you know yeah they get the cold shoulder so that's uh, that's kind of interesting from the standpoint when you think about uh, cycling media and how they cover the cycling, uh, the realm of cycling in North America. And when you really start to dig in, you find out they only really care about certain things. Well, <laughs> it's kind of like when I was uh, leaving the military and then people were asking me to join this uh new veterans organization i said well how about i just join like the vfw or the american legion something that's already established it's been around and those same people were like well they just don't speak to me and i'm like you know those world war ii vets and those korean vets are dying off by the day yeah i'm pretty sure they'll just say dude whatever you're gonna do it's gonna be awesome just keep this thing going yeah you know so when I look at it from that lens, I, I'll just be honest. I just think it comes back to money. Yeah. They're not tied in good enough, or you know, someone doesn't like it someplace, so therefore they're not advocating and pushing it because right. it's not driving a return profit back to them. Right. Yeah, and that could be. I don't know. I just know that that the US EF doesn't get any any needle moved at all in in traditional cycling media which is kind of weird and i'll go off on a little political tangent if you want to talk about you know making your efforts count well why would you not use an existing structure there right it may not be ideal but imagine if you showed up with a bag of cash you can get some changes made yeah you show up and say hey i'm i'm here to help right and you sit in one or two years and then you start making your changes Right. You know, you're a slow takeover. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that, that and quality of competition. I mean, yeah. if you got, you know, Peter Stett and I showed up at that, that automatically for whatever you, you can look at that as a negative or a positive, but for, the reality is it would give it credibility then. So let's rewind so. the tape on that. Let's say Jim Cummings at Dirty Kanza never brought the pros, never right. paid for the pros. Right. Where would it be today? Right. Would it still be a two-bit sideshow someplace? And I'm not trying to crap on the race. No, I'm just I, saying. I don't think it was that. I I think, yeah, I, I get what you're trying to say. 
I, th- I don't know what his overall end vision was. And I don't know that anybody will ever find out because he got cut short for whatever reasons. But, um, you know, I think he had, I think, I think getting it to the point where they sold it to lifetime was part of the vision. Yeah. Right. And I think Jim's overarching concern was he wanted more people to experience that that thing that he helped create there. Yeah. He, that, that's really what he wanted more than anything was, you know, if you're a pro, I want you to experience this. If you're a mid packer, I want you to experience this. If you're a new person, I want you to experience this. You know, he just wanted that kind of uh, experience to be shared amongst everyone. Now, I mean, obviously to be able to bring in more people, he needed to have, uh, he needed to have the infrastructure and the money and the and the wherewithal in the industry yeah. to pull that off. And I think that's why he went the direction he went. I mean, he can speak for himself. I'm putting words in his mouth probably, but, um, you know, I know he really cared about the riders first and foremost. And I, so I think to get to where he wanted to go, he had to, he felt he had to make those kinds of decisions to, and then the community as well. I mean, that yeah. helps the community. And yeah. he was a big community guy too. So, you know, he was there to help grow Emporia. And, and I think Leland Danes, who we had just had on our show not long ago, would agree with that. That, you know, that was one of the things they wanted to do was impact the community. And they did. They, yeah. they did that. So, and part of that was bringing in the flashy bits. And part of that flashy bits were, were pros, yep. you know. And then they did other things too, but yeah, so I, I, I think, think that might answer your question. Why the gravel grinder one never really took it was because maybe they didn't make the investment to bring in some hard hitters to yeah. get the, I don't to, know, to get the I don't PR know if, up. if they were trying to do things organically or, or, and that's why they didn't get that to that point. I don't know. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's very well could be, but for whatever reason they've been there, all this time and uh, nobody's really paid attention. I think to it's it. going to be interesting to watch going along this line, going down, watching rule three, see how they do this year. Um, because the first year I was there, they, I crossed, you know, I, I finished the 50 mile race. I finished like mm-hmm. fairly fast, just over three hours, just right around the three hour mark. I was like 34th or 35th overall. Mm-hmm. Right. Whatever. Anyway. So, when I finished, about an hour later, uh, Payson, Payson comes across the finish line and wins the thing, right? And it was a media blitz on him. You know, mm-hmm. he's a Red Bull pro. Right. And from the start of the day to the time he finished, the cameras were on him. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he got there. I'm not going to speculate, but the event did have a Red Bull tarp up there. Yeah. You know, and... So, right from the gun, Rule 3 has been pushing a professional image, you know, mm-hmm. and by having big names there. Um, there are some other pros there. Uh, they're escaping my head brain right now. Um, but they loaded that field mm-hmm. on the first year to legitimize that race from the word go. Mm-hmm. So I, I think if you want to grow a big race, you're going to have to do that. Yeah, I suppose that's one way to do it. Um, there's kind of a symbiotic relationship between what sponsors you get yeah. and what athletes show up, depending on what the sponsors have for sponsored athletes. Correct. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So like if you get sponsored, if your event gets sponsored by Allied Cycles, whoever they've got on their team this year is probably yeah. going to be there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't right. hurt that this event's out of Bentonville. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and then, yeah, and then there's that, which is, you know, Bentonville's certainly, or Northwest Arkansas is certainly becoming a, a hub of mountain bike and gravel. Oh, no. I think they just want to be the hub. Yeah. All of it. You know, you go down there, they have road routes published. Mm-hmm. You know, they have, they have every other than winter fat biking. Right. I mean, they, Everything that you can ride in there, I'm, I'm going to be a little snarky. 
they probably have a unicycle route. <laughs> um, no, yeah. but um, I'm just getting to a point like everything in that town is built around cycling. Right. right. Yeah. Well, getting back to the national championship thing, it's interesting that, uh, and of course, USAC hasn't even pulled this thing off yet. Um, you know, and we'll have to see who shows up. Will it be another UCI event? Oh, well, you know, you got to figure too, which, how many of these privateers are going to buy a USAC license just so they can go do that national championship thing? I forgot what a USAC license is. Last time yeah. I looked, I thought it was like 110. Yeah. I'm like, I do three USAC races a year. I'll pay the yeah. $15 day pass. Right. But, you know, I, I don't know that they, you know, it just depends on what USAC wants. Yeah. It, do they want to be legitimate? Then they're going to have to kind of bend their bend the rules a little bit i think to get the people that to legitimize it there and then yeah. of course then the sponsorship part of it too is a is a part of it too um problem with with usac and uci in general is they got in on the gravel thing 10 years too late you know yeah uh if they'd have jumped on it in 2012 or 2013 when it was just starting to take off um and I know that might surprise some of you listeners out there that, what do you mean gravel was taken off then? Nobody knew about it. Oh, yeah, you just, it's because you're a latecomer if you think yeah. that. It was a, getting to be a big thing back then. Well, I, like, you know. I stepped in 2013, 2014. <laughs> I thought I was late to the show. Yeah. Right. Well, see, the industry was starting to pay attention to, to the yeah. gravel scene at that point in time in 2012, 2013, 2014. And USAC, they had to be aware of that. Yeah, I mean, I, they're not stupid. So, in, in my own mental image, it's like 2016 was like the last early year in my head. And then 2018 was definitely the door was closed. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. this thing's on. Right. Like, this thing's raging, right. and it's just been exponential growth right. year after year that's why i always think it's kind of funny when i see someone write an article and they say well this new thing of gravel grading <laughs> yeah I, no i'm just saying yeah that, that's that's dave yeah. roll's opinion right 2016 was the last sure last year my yeah you know my yeah. timeline of it well, i think anybody's been around the scene for a long enough time yeah. can kind of agree with that and then so. like 2018 was the year i think the pros did not show up to the podium at dk yeah and that was kind of like a well the horses are out of the barn type of thing. Yeah. Like we, yeah. we've, I shouldn't say we've lost control, but this, this thing is unmanageable at this time. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That said, that was a certain, that def, that definitely sent some kind of a message. I'm not sure what it was even today, but. It's the message about, it's all about the money. It is, yeah. it's not about the event. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we'll just let that go. I have, I have stories. <laughs> <laughs> that's for another podcast anyways we'll get off in the weeds again and we won't get back on track like the last podcast so yeah i think you know it's interesting to see that um that paris ancaster is uh isn't is a canadian national gravel championship event and i don't know if that's a usac or a uci event yeah. wouldn't be usac because it's canada but maybe it's their federation i don't know but uh uh, it, it'd be interesting if, if that dovetails into the USAC one here and the UCI world gravel and, you know, obviously they'd be, they would, wouldn't have any problems starting national gravel events in other nations in Europe. I'm sure they would yeah. just jump right on board with that. So France and Belgium and all the big cycling nations. So, um, yeah. you know, this might be the beginnings of professional level gravel on a worldwide scale. So we'll see now, you know, going right into that, we can, we can uh, go right into our next point, which is some retired professionals are starting the inkle that they're, they want to come and dabble in the gravel scene, oh, yeah. which that's nothing new per se. Ian Boswell. Yeah. Ted King. You're right. So you've had that from the uh, North American contingent of European roadies that they weren't necessarily all that. I'd call them Grand Tour. Yeah, they weren't necessarily all that successful, but they were there and they put in their time and, 
and they had some results here and there. Yeah, I think if they would have stayed stateside, they would have been they would have had a way more um they would have had way more wins under the belt, way more better placements. But on the road side of it, it's kind of like if you can't get to Europe, mm-hmm. what would you what were you really doing? Yeah. You know, that's that's the end game. Yeah. So I, I think that from the standpoint of North American cycling, you know, when you saw Ted King go to Dirty Hands and win it and what was that, 2016, 2017, I think, um, that that made headlines because oh, yeah. here, was a, here was a former uh, European road bro that had come back to the United States and picked up gravel racing. And then that kind of opened the door for the other others like Stetna yeah, and all these had, others that came success. in. he had success. So they saw that and they said, well, this looks like a lot more fun than us beating our heads against a wall over here in Europe and we're not ever going to get anywhere. So they came back here to do gravel. Okay, so that's that's our scene here in the United States. That didn't really amount to, that didn't move any needles in Europe. Okay. Now this news that we've had recently will. And yeah. uh, so if you're, if you're familiar with road racing at all, and I may be butchering this man's name, but it's Tom Boonen. Okay. And, and uh, he won Paris Roubaix four times in the Tour of Flanders twice and did that uh did the, the Paris Robay and Flanders double two years. Yeah. So he was, you know, highly regarded, very well known European pro road rider. So if you haven't heard his name, look him up. He was super, super popular rider. And the other one is uh Peter Sagan Pe- is yep. kind of hinting. Yep, he's gonna do his last world tour this year. He's already that's in the news right now. Uh and he's hinting around that he might might want to do some mountain bike and gravel events when he's done. The guy's a phenomenal mountain biker, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yep. So um, now th- that's the kind of news where he, maybe here in North America we go, huh, okay, another pro guy. Because yeah. we've seen pro guys come and do gravel. But in Europe, that's a big deal. That's yeah. turning heads. And Peter has already done Dirty Kanza. Yeah. He, I believe he pulled out around mile 100 that year he did it. It was just last year, wasn't it? Last year or the year before. It's all blurring together. Yeah, I think it was just last year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he didn't complete. I'm pretty sure he pulled early. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He was kind of under the radar. I mean, he didn't, they didn't really make that big of a deal of it. But, you know, with Tom Boone, and if he decides to come and do Dirty Kanza, you're, that's going to make that's gonna make the headlines in, in Europe. Because yeah. he, he was highly celebrated. I mean, they just unveiled a statue of his legs as a monument at the Tour of Flanders just last week. <laughs> a bronze statue of his legs. So if that doesn't tell you something, you know, I don't know what will. But the guy is a big deal. And uh, it would be like uh, Lance Armstrong in his day coming to do a gravel event or a mountain bike event. You know, that would have been huge here. Yeah. Um, and it's gonna, I think that's as big of news that's a good that's a good metaphor for how big that news is going to be in Europe. Or even Greg LeMond. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When Greg LeMond came and did the Shawamigan and won it, you know, at the end of his career, that was a big deal. Yeah, that was a pump in the arm for mountain biking. Correct, for sure. It actually kind of helped end the rift between roadies and mountain bikers. Did Bob Roll ever go up there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he actually became a mountain bike yeah. Pro yeah, yeah, for yeah, a while. Yeah. And uh, so that kind of helped heal the the rift there. If you don't know what I'm talking about, way back when in the late 80s and early 90s, you were either a road biker or a mountain biker, and, you, and the two didn't talk to each other. It was kind of like snowboarders and traditional skiers. Didn't, you know, <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. So if you were one of those dirty mountain bikers and you were a roadie, you know, you had disdain for the, the mountain biker and the mountain biker had a similar disdain for roadies. Isn't it always interesting how yeah. the new crew coming in is always seen yeah. to be poor, right? Disheveled. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh like, yeah. I got in it. Any scene. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like right. for years, gravel cyclists, the mountain bikers are looking down at them. Right. Roadies were looking down at them. Right. You know, like, they were just gravel cyclists were just bad mountain bikers and washed up, roadies. washed up roadies. Yeah. So it's, you still get that narrative, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. But, yeah, it'll be cool to see where that goes. If I think if Bonin and 
uh, Sagan come and do some of the you know high, higher profile gravel races in the United States, you might they they're going to drag some others with them. You know, I oh think, yeah, for it's sure, going to happen. Yeah, and then you're going to have uh, at that point, I think you know that that's going to change the scene. It's going to raise the bar again. You know, especially if they do well. You know, if they come over here and they don't do so hot, then it would be able to point fingers and laugh. But if they do well, I think you'll see a, a sea change, especially in Europe, how they look at gravel racing. Yeah. So then it'll be pretty right. interesting how that works out. So third topic for today is you recently casted your vote. Yes. You voted. The, I voted. Did you get a sticker? <laughs> that's a good idea i should get a sticker leland we need stickers <laughs> <laughs> so uh what we're talking about is a gravel cycling hall of fame um we'll probably link the show where we talked to leland danes who is the brainchild behind uh the gravel cycling hall of fame here in the show notes but um i got uh nominated last year and elected to be put into it and when you're uh one of the things they wanted to do was people who got voted in could choose to be an elector, which meant that I got sent the list of names to look over and they wanted me to vote. So just to give you kind of a little bit behind the scenes view of uh, what that entailed was um, they want, they kind of wanted to keep the um, nomination process democratic. So anybody can nominate someone as long as the nominee agrees Correct. that they want to be nominated. So you have to get permission basically. So if, say if you think Joe down the street is got something to do with make, moving the needle in the gravel scene and you want to nominate him, you would write up a story about his qualifications and uh, send it on in. Then the electors get those and uh, they have to read through all of them. And then they were uh, instructed to pick five people. So there, there'll never be from this point on, never be more than five put in, but a minimum of three. And how it works is you had to rank your choices. So your first choice, the one you really wanted to see go in for sure, you gave five points to. And then oh, so, so this is kind of like down ballot voting. Yeah. So uh, the top three uh, oh, point. I'm sorry, ranked, ranked choice voting. The top sorry. three point getters it's like if joe, if joe is in the top three of points amongst all those that were nominated he would get in and then the the final two have to be, get at least 50 percent of the vote yeah or they won't get in so that's where you get the cutoff at three if they do manage to get 50 percent of the vote then they get in there might be four there might be five based upon that sliding point scale I don't know if it's a sliding point scale, but, you know, a point scale. Um, so, you know, that all sounds okay. You know, that sounds pretty good. The only problem that I, and, and you know, I probably should uh, be careful what I say here because I don't want to sound uh, like they don't know what they're doing, but I think they're, the, the nomination process needs to be streamlined a little bit. Yeah. Just from the standpoint of, I don't think people understand what a story is to help someone get nominated because when you look, when I looked at all the nominees and what their, what their qualifications were to be in, inducted, um, the way those stories were told and presented was like, there was like 50 different, different ways of doing it. And it was, it made it really difficult to choose your uh, people that you wanted to put in because I think what happens is a lot of times we think that fame e equals access, access to a yeah. hall of fame. So I, I guess what I'm hearing is there wasn't a defined format or um, there was no format. <laughs> I'm trying to be polite here. Yeah. Um, that's part of the problem. I think. So I, but then again, how do you, structure that in a way um because at a certain point you're also making them cookie cutter and i don't think you want a cookie cutter i maybe well, I, I think there needs to be needs to be freedom to express right correct is what you're saying 
But I think there needs to be some guidelines, like some guideposts to go by. You, you know? think up three different formats and be like, please choose one of these three mm-hmm. to help us advocate right. for your uh, for your right. suggestion, right? Because this helps us streamline it. Because you have X amount of people reviewing, not ten files, but you could. I think Leland hinted like he had 150 recommendations. Or submissions. Yeah, I don't think there were quite that many, but there were. Well, a I'm not lot. saying that that's what yeah. you got to vote on, but I imagine they already go through and be like, "Well, this just this is a cool dude. This says just yeah. because yeah. out the door, you know." Yeah, I, I think they. I'm I'm assuming that they're doing some vetting of it first, right? And they probably do look out, be like, "Well, some of the, is some of this true?" Yeah, I never heard of this person. Yeah, so I might reach out to a region and ask a couple questions. I'm right. guessing, I would, I, I would, I would try to vet a story mm-hmm. a bit, especially if it's, you know, me. No, right. I'm kidding. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think part of the problem is that people don't know how to write a story. One, that's convincing. You know. Two, they don't know uh, how to place. A person's accomplishments in in the context of history because if someone did something in a city and made a dent in a city and did some great things in a city that doesn't mean anything to the rest of the nation you know what i'm saying so yeah. uh so is that hall of fame worthy I, I i would push back on you a little bit on that one um it's not gravel but uh the red hook cricks you know Mm-hmm. The red hook, the red hook crits down there in New York City. That, but I've heard of that. Yeah, I just, I'm saying I'm saying I've never heard of this. I'm I'm just saying that this person that nominated this guy, yeah. thinks that guy is awesome because in that little city or that little state or that county or whatever, did a lot of things. But if that doesn't move the needle in the cycling industry, or if that doesn't move the needle in in cycling in general then that's just for that region. Yeah, but, that's why you have a Hall of Fame for for Clayton County, you know. I'm yeah, just I get where you're example. going. So, but the Red Hook crit is something that was widely reported. I mean, Correct. almost everybody in cycling that pays attention has heard of it at least, you know. So, and, and there's been a lot of athletes that have come out of that that, well, this person did the Red Hook crit. I mean, there's gravel racers that, that were part of that that I heard of. So, yeah, I mean, I may not know uh, exactly the details of it, and it, and it was very local, uh, but it influenced, the influence of that event went out and other people were affected by it. All right, so next year I'm, I'm nominating the Red Hook Crit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's a lot of that that, um, I'm not saying that happened, in the nominations this year. Yeah. That's just an example. Yeah. You know, and if you don't, you know, if you don't give people a guidepost to go by, so they know that, Oh, if I write this story about my neighbor, it ain't going to make it because, you know, they're looking for this, you know, but does it have to be a national impact? Could it just be regional? Sure. It could, you know, but I, I think that, um, in the context of history, yeah, that has to be, one of the he- more heavily weighted things, you know, um, just because someone has raced a few gravel races and everybody and their name got splashed all over Vela news. That don't mean crap that doesn't, to me. does that mean that they should be in the hall of fame today when you're bypassing a bunch of people that actually laid some bricks that those people that you're reading about stand on. I mean, so that's the, what my point is. The one event that I used to try to get to, and I never could figure out how to get to it because by the time I realized it w- what time of year it was hitting and all that, um, the one event I think is fairly influential um, was the DeKalb 100. Yeah, the... the uh, that was um, in Illinois. Yeah, the um, metric, something metric they called it. Isn't that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. It was last time I think they ran that event was maybe 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and mean, Toby, um, oh, Toby, what's your last name? It's not McGuire. He's on, he's in, he's actually one of the board members of Gravel Cycling Hall of Fame. Well, I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and, 
and you look at that, that's an event that they, they did a lot of really cool promotions with videos and oh, yeah. movies and stuff that they, they made. Um, they had a night race too. Um, the night bison, I think they called it. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Out of DeKalb, uh, Illinois. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's something that they were pioneers. They had a, I would say in a pioneer category, they had a major influence because they did a lot of things first. Yeah. Right. They did the big, the big uh, video promotions and, and they actually uh, spread the word of gravel really because those videos were viral. They went viral and they're still on Vimeo. I mean, you can still look at them. I found one of them the other day because someone was asking me about it. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's an example of something that from a pioneer's pioneering standpoint made an influence early on and is, is, has its historical relevance. Yeah. And that's the story. And that's why the gravel cycling hall of fame exists is to tell those stories. So let me throw so. another promoter at you. I'm going to butcher it. One eye samurai down there in Florida. He's got like the Hurricane 300. He's got the Florida um, Divide. Oh, yep. God, there's there's some people in Florida that deserve to be uh, talked about, and there there were some on that got nominated. Okay. Um, you know, um, oh, the 4G Gravel Grinder. That's been that was one of the that's one of the biggest events down there. It's been around for a long time. I mean, you could look at that that as being something to to. to take to heart, you know, because that popularized gravel yeah. in the Southeast to a great degree. But yeah, I mean, there's several Florida stories that could be part of that. Um, and there's also, you know, your Belgian waffle ride. That was something that was going on before gravel got big, but became a big part of the gravel scene. Yeah. I mean, that deserves to be considered, I think, uh, stuff like that, you know, um, John Hobbs with the uh, death, the Flint Hills death ride that was predated the modern gravel scene, but definitely should be a, a story that's involved in the gravel cycling hall of fame. I think and that deserves to be there. Um, so from a historical standpoint, I think the foundational pioneering and pre modern day gravel stuff, uh, if we don't get it in there, now it, it'll get forgotten versus well who's who's got their name splashed all across social media today yeah know? i i so my instagram i'm starting to like report things like not interested because i yeah. just get hit up with gravel races i'm like you want me to go to california <laughs> next week i'm just gonna report not interested on this one yeah yeah i, I just Trust me, there's like one down there in Tempe, Arizona or something that caught my eye. I was like, shit, if I had another month notice, I probably would have finagled it out. Yeah. You know, January, January, February is not a good month for me to go do races this year. <laughs> yeah. Work, the work cycle ain't, ha ain't doing too good. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose a lot of people's work cycles are a little messy right now. Yeah, we're, we're up. <laughs> my line of work we're finishing up some stuff that mm -hmm. it's kind of cool first to do it type of stuff so mm. nice yeah prototyping is going well anyway don't talk about it it's a secret ella's looking at me like she wants to say something oh yeah she had a good day today did she oh yeah ella's the dog here by so the we got some time left do you want to go over your bookman light reviews yeah i actually have one with me woohoo so I think I'm going to pull that out here. You got to get a picture of Ella. Yeah. We'll use that for the header. <laughs> she will whine if she's not under all those blankets, people. <laughs> and then she walks around the house with them still on. And I call her horse at that point because she looks yeah, like. Yeah, she had it on when she walked out to see me. When yeah, I came doesn't in. she like look like a horse yeah, with a blanket, kind of. like winterized horse? Yeah, She does yeah. kind of. So here, I'm going to hand this to you. This is the the one that f was made for runners. Okay, it looks like a pretzel. Yeah. So uh, Bookman Lights is a lighting company from Sweden, I believe. And, uh, you, yeah, that button's a little stiff. But um, 
it uh, they make lights for urban cycling, basically. So their their uh, shtick is, and uh, PR rep for them got a hold of me and sent me some of their stuff. But the one that really got to me was the one that w- they sent this, and I didn't even know it was coming. It was a light meant for running. Yeah, um, I'll put a link in the show notes so everybody can see that. But it's weighs forty grams. Yeah, it's fairly intuitive. I figured it out. It has yep. three light settings. You yep. hold it down to turn it off. Yep. It's just like a basic LED yep. light. It's LED rechargeable. It also has a stepless adjustment so you can aim it uh at your whatever you want to aim it at. Yep. <laughs> I actually uh it's two hundred and fifty lumens on high and it'll run for an hour and a half at that. That's and actually it, pretty good. It runs at four for four hours of the medium setting. And uh, so I was like, you That'd know, be a good back back uh, bike packing light. Exactly, that's what I was thinking. Uh, great for when you're setting up your camp yep. in the dark, or if you got a repair you got to make, uh, you can't see very well. Yeah. Uh, that's actually what I used it for right away. I took it to work. <laughs> uh, where where I work is an uh, old building, probably built in I don't know, nineteen hundred yeah. probably probably older. It's yeah, probably look at that basement foundation, maybe. Um, yeah. So the lighting in there is not the greatest. And uh, when you're working on bikes and you get into, you know, trying to see that small derailleur adjustment screw and it's dim lighting. So I, I wore this thing on my head. It's First of all, it's really comfortable to wear. Uh, I got a big noggin and it fit me fine. Um, and weighing 40 grams, you don't even notice that you have it on, really. Uh, turn it on and it lit up my work uh, perfectly. Mm-hmm. on medium i didn't even need to turn it on high i used it going home on my commute and um it would light up signs and stuff a block and a half away you know uh so it's got a good throw for identifying things yep. like that uh i think a person if you were using a gps or if you were using cue sheets uh you wanted to ride at night this thing would be great for that so you could read your your cues down or your gps uh, if you didn't want to use the backlight on your GPS and drain your battery more, that would be a great thing for that. And like we said, with the repairs and everything. Yep. So um, I think it's 55 bucks. It's pretty, it's, pretty decent. It's you know? more compact than my Petzl that I got. Mm-hmm. And the USB and charger kind of sells me on it. Yep. Uh, the Petzl I have, I think, runs on three AAAs. Right. And I do like that, and I also dislike that. Mm-hmm. I, I like the USB charging function of it, mm-hmm. but also having the AAA option, I can go into a gas station at 1 o'clock in the morning, buy AAAs and out sure. the door. You know, I don't sure. have to wait around to recharge. This might be good for the person who has one of the generator hubs that with a USB yeah. hub on it. You know, um, That might make more sense, or if you take a brick with you that you can recharge from it. I'm almost to the point, like, if you're going to be serious about bike packing, you need to have a generator hub. It's really, I mean, they're to the point now where they're pretty bomb proof. Yep. If you get a Schmidt. It's that and you, it keeps you off the grid yep. and you can pedal and charge. You're not, you're not stationary. Right. You're not held ransom at a Tim Hortons in <laughs> Canada. Hortons. Not like I was. <laughs> not like I'm speaking from experience, kids. Tim Hortons. Um. <laughs> You know, that's a good point, though, um, being off the grid. And with the way that uh, they've made improvements in the light, and not only that, but in the wiring of the lights. So, like, now um, I think it's uh, Schmidt has a quick connect, which when you see it, you're like, why didn't they do this from the get-go? It's a coaxial cable. Yeah. It's just, you just, it's like your, any headphone, like, you know, eighth-inch headphone jack. Um, and you just plug it in and go. And when you want to take your wheel off, that's super easy. It used to be, you had to peel off these two spade connectors with really flimsy wires on the ends of them. You were like, Oh, I don't want to break my wires, you know? And, or if you accidentally <laughs> drop the wheel and it, yank, it would break those spade connectors right off. Um, with that coax cable, it's pretty heavy duty. Uh, yeah. likelihood of it just disconnecting with the weight of the wheel is pretty high. So if you'd made that mistake, it wouldn't be catastrophic. But it's obviously way easier to um, keep the thing weatherproofed and and to disconnect and connect it. So I think that's a major improvement for people who are going to go off the grid bike packing. And something like this light then makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Now they also make um, these funky looking kind of uh, 
curved front um, lights for the rear and for the front that I'm going to have reviewed too. Um, and that'll be on um, my blog and on Riding Gravel, and we'll put links in the show notes. That's a, You just press it halfway, and it tells you if it's charged or not, yeah. which is kind of nice. Um, but they, I would say the taillights bomber. It's really cool. It's got this like sequential uh, mode to it. That's oh, kind of the neat. night rider. Yeah. The night rider <laughs> kind of thing it's, or disco light, you know? So, and it's really bright and, um, the front, it, it would be good as a supplementary. I wouldn't rely on it for a yeah. headlight. It's 250 lumens, which, you know, maybe if you're in cities, that's fine. The thing about it that's way cool is it's got this flash function that is like, it looks like the cops are coming down the street. It's yeah, pretty intense. So it's fairly bright. So I like that. Um, so Bookman lights, we'll put a link in the show notes to that. You should, should check them out. I've been pretty impressed so far. So, so do you have any gravel amplifiers? I hadn't, didn't get a chance to, to really look, uh, this time, but, um, I do have one. You have one. Go I'm ahead. bringing an old one back. Yeah, just really hammering at home. Yeah, uh, the oil boom gravel ride in uh, Titusville, Pennsylvania. Which, oh yeah, yep, it's kind of that area where J.D. Rockefeller discovered oil and then oh, built yeah. his empire out of that area over to Cleveland. So right, it's got some historical significance to it. Uh, it's June seventeenth, and I think this cost is manageable. Um, he's just asking for a $20 donation. Yeah. And he's got a 20, 40, and a 60 miler. And the field limit is 100 folks. And so they claim amazing dirt roads. Expect 90% dirt roads. Uh, free event donations appreciated. Fully marked route with a sweep car. No rider check-ins, bring your friends, have fun, real gravel riding with no filler mm-hmm. or $100 entry fees. And I kind of like the last bullet, extra bullet point, exclamation point. So they're on Instagram. Um, you can follow them on Instagram at oilboom underscore gravel ride, gravel with a large G and R, large R, capitals. And... They also do have a Facebook page. Just look up Oil Boom Gravel Ride. And I would actually be interested in that, but the timing does not work for me. When is it again? Uh, June 17th. I normally go back to New York around 4th of July. So I last year, there was a little early, and I didn't feel like leaving Morgan alone at my dad's house. Oh. So... I did not trying go to be to a it. responsible boyfriend. Huh? I should stop that crap. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. So that's the one I'm going to keep pumping. Yeah. Where is that in Pennsylvania? It's exactly? kind of the west side. It's north of Pittsburgh. Oh, it's. I would just say it's in between Erie, Pennsylvania, and Pittsburgh, and a little bit east of that. Yeah. Um, it's looks like it's a couple of miles. East of Interstate 79, east of Meadville. So, oh. I really don't know too much about that area of Pennsylvania. Probably so. pretty hilly, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it's exactly where I said it is. It's kind of due south of um, Erie, Pennsylvania. So, it, I would just say, like, if you're leaving Pittsburgh, it's probably an hour and a half north so just looking at that eyeballing it looks to be like 45 minutes south of erie it's hard to tell with elevation that changes your timing a lot yeah but it is near jamestown new york which is the home of lucille ball so (laughs) how does that figure into gravel (laughs) does i just love bringing up lucille ball or uh what's her name from Ten Thousand maniacs golly gee Natalie Merchant. Yes, she's from Jamestown, New York. She is. Yes, yes. I didn't know that. Yes, sir. And the Google Dolls are from Buffalo. Yep. The Google Dolls. Yeah. 
And I think Snapcase is from Buffalo too. Yeah? Yeah. Anyways. What else do we got? Well, I Did you find one to endorse yet? Yeah, I got I'm trying to find their Facebook page. This, this is giving me kind of. I did find one. I did find another one, but it's on USAC, so I kind of did not want to sponsor that one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> here's, here's the one that I wanted to talk about. So <clears throat> we've talked about um, the Almanzo before. Yes, sir. Oh, the Haywood? Yep. So, and we've actually, you know, during, right before the pandemic, we interviewed Marty Larson of the Haywood Ride. And the Haywood Ride is basically the, um, well, he calls it the new Almanzo. <laughs> um, so, uh, basically, it's it's Almanzo under a different name, more or less. Um it happens in the same date in May every year that the Almanzo did. So you can uh, plan on, like, I think it's the weekend after Mother's Day uh, every year. Up there in Northfield, Minnesota. Um, and they have all the distances that the uh, Almanzo had. So you can do 100 miles. You can do a 160. Um, you can do... Um, I think they have like this 380 mile monster that you can do. And that starts like the day before the other events. And then they have a shorter, more family friendly distance as well, which I'm not sure what that is, but, um, Marty Larson and, um, uh, Ben Witt are the ones that run that, um, up there in Northfield pretty much, um, They, let's see, oh, I got their Facebook page here. If my dumb phone would load it all. But, uh, yeah, anyway, it's basically, I think they charge like 25 bucks. Okay. And they don't have, it's not really a competition, but you they'll, they'll give you a time of your ride if you want. And, um so it's kind of, it's, it's a really more of a, more about community, you know, than it is about individuals and podiums and all that stuff. Like other, other gravel events, this is more of a, uh, celebration of riding on gravel than it is a competition. So, um, I'll link that, that, uh, interview we did with Marty Larson, um, because that's really good and they give you all the background on it. So, says here, uh, come join us with rides of varying distances on the gorgeous gravel roads of Rice, Goodhue, and other counties in southern Minnesota. Um, it's a simple bicycle ride on the gravel roads. Yeah. So um, just a really good uh, good time on gravel, basically, is what that is, what it boils down to. Well, I got one more. Okay. Um, <clears throat> this one's been around for a while. Uh, the Hungry Bear 100 up in oh, Cable, yeah, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's up there in Cable, Wisconsin. Go for the gravel. Stay for the single track. Uh, it's May 13th. And they have a 100-mile option for $35, 60-mile option for $35, and then a 30-mile option for $35. So it's all 35 which I kind of like. Mm-hmm. Simple pricing. But what I really, really like about this is for $6.50 more, you can have a slice of pie waiting for you at the finish line. <laughs> $6.50 for a slice of pie. I mean, who doesn't want to oh, ride for awesome. pie? Ride <laughs> for pie. Yeah. So you can pre-order it, and it'll be there when you're done at the end of your ride. And this race has been around for a while. I think 2017 is the first time I think I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um so they exist, um, and it's been established. And Wisconsin does have some really nice um, gravel roads up there. And you're in the north woods, so it's fairly wooded, and you'll see a lot of pine trees. You might see a uh, Mr. Moose or maybe a Mrs. Meese <laughs> um, wandering about, and maybe some wolves. Probably not, but they are a boat. And maybe a bear or two. I don't think I've ever seen a bear up northern Wisconsin. 
I have them. Yeah, they're up there. Yeah, I know they're, they're there. Yeah, I've seen them up there. Haven't seen them. Black bears. Yeah. Oh yeah, black bears mm-hmm. are the best. Yeah, there's the a lot of them up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen plenty of them up there yeah. fishing. Um, Grizzlies don't bother me. Black bears. Now tell me, now, <laughs> have you actually seen their quote gravel roads unquote up there? I've ridden them. Yeah. They're, yeah. The ones I've seen are mostly sand. I was about to say they're sand based. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go, I would say if you go to that one, take your wider tire. Yeah, I'd ride a two two. Yeah. Yeah, the, I, I seem to remember that the, the the back roads up there are really sandy. Yeah, they're sand. I shouldn't say there's yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go to to uh, like the Haywood ride, their gravel is so fine you could probably ride a thirty five millimeter tire and yeah. be pretty good yeah. for most of it. Yeah, I mean, where I rode around in New York State, I was riding my Cat thirteen with mm-hmm. seventy psi. And a 28 millimeter slick. Yeah. Yeah, I can handle mile, mile and a half gaps here and there of gravel, but to actually ride, ride, eh, probably yeah. not. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to be bounced around once in a while yeah. for a mile and a half, and it's another to yeah. go for 100 miles of that. Yeah, I would say if you have a bike that does 35s and that's all you've got, um, southern Minnesota gravel is usually okay with that. Yeah. Usually. I mean, like you said, there'll be youth sections where it might be a little gnarly on that kind of tire, but you could probably get by with most of it. Yeah. Um, I found that to be kind of true and where I rode around in Quebec. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there were stones on the road. Don't get me wrong, but it it was road enough. And the cars did enough good enough job of keeping it packed. Oh, yeah? That you could, I was rolling a 30 at like 60 PSI just fine. And I, I actually intentionally went out looking for it. So I was doing like five to eight mile grips of gravel, throwing a mile of pavement here and there, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Anyways, you got another one? No, I think that's going to do it for that. Uh, I just wanted to say that um, to remind people again that you can find uh, the Guitar Ted Productions podcast on Apple, Spotify, Anchor FM, uh, Podbean, isn't it? Yeah, Podbean or Podcast 2.0. Podcast 2.0, amongst other Google, I don't know what's on there. And uh, I think there's about two or three other places that I'm seeing people are finding. Amazon Music. Yeah, Amazon Music. Uh, was another one I noticed the other day. So, yeah. um, you know, if, if you want to leave us a review on any of those, please do that. That helps us out. Um, subscribe if you can subscribe. Like if you can like. Tell um, a friend. Tell a friend. Yeah, appreciate all. Actually, that's probably help. the biggest thing you could do. Is yeah, tell a friend. Just tell a friend about us. And we've also added in the show notes. If you feel compelled to uh, help us out with a donation, there's a link to PayPal, and you can. There's an address there that you can yeah. PayPal your donation to if you feel so inclined. So we yeah, if you find it. if you find value in this, yep. let us know. That's right. And we're looking for sponsors, too. So if you're listening to this and you're in the bike industry and you think you like what you hear uh, and you would like to see your brand uh, represented by the Guitar Ted Productions podcast, reach out to us and we can get you set up. I I think the only thing I would caveat with that, and I'm just throwing this at you, and we haven't even chatted about that, is I don't want events because... I think gravel amplifier would take away from yeah. that. Well, if you want to be on the gravel amplifier, that's yeah. thing. Yeah, right? just shoot yeah. us a note. And shoot us a note, we'll throw it on there. We're, yeah. we're here to help promote those events that are sort of kind of under the radar. So, Hungry Bear isn't, I like it. Yeah. You can have pie. Well, yeah, who doesn't like pie? I like pie. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have ice cream, though? That's the other, that's the other oh, question. We need to talk about strawberry rhubarb. Pie with ice cream and ice cream. Now we're talking in Whittier, Alaska, <laughs> in a hot clay bowl. Oh my god! Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, we were salmon fishing. Yeah, all oh, the the listeners need to hear this story. We were salmon fishing when I was in the army up there. Mm-hmm. There's probably like eight of us lieutenants, and we were up in shot co- shotgun Cove Bay. And uh, I got a T-shirt from that place. Oh, do you? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyways. They looked at me because I was the only one who hadn't been drinking all day. And they're like, hey, we're out of beer. Go back. So I ran into town and I saw there was like a shack and it literally was a shack. And I walked in to see if I can get beer. And I saw a chalkboard that said strawberry rhubarb crisp on, on vanilla ice cream. There you go. So I ate a bowl, 
Went back in, got a second bowl. <laughs> I spent all the beer money on my belly. <laughs> I went back and I said, I didn't, there was no beer to find. Sorry, guys. And oh, by the way, I uh, ate your money. <laughs> <laughs> but that went over real well. <laughs> well, someone asked me about it and they're like, I, I can't blame you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds delicious. Oh, it was good. Especially after a long gravel ride. That would be great. Oh, yeah. So I will wrap it up with that story about strawberry rhubarb pie and ice cream. If that doesn't make you hungry, I don't know what will. So thanks for listening to the Guitar Ted Productions podcast. We'll see you next time. Um, Hang in there and keep riding.